and like you must always be aware of like the suffering that's going around you i think i think spira is like so perfectly aligned with the experience of being a catholic person um that, that like that's in particular why it hit me like this was the first game or like first experience i had as a young person i was like what if the church is bad what if Yo, what if, what if the church was, man, good thing the church isn't bad. That would be fucked up. Anyway. Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm the kind of Aeon that you have to pay to do work. And this week, we tell a tale of two Spiras with Final Fantasy X and X-2. Before we retire from the Popedom to become J-pop stars, remember you can help us on Mortified the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for our monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. I need you to do something for me. Okay. Listen to my story. <laughs> this might be our last chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. That was my bit. <laughs> I like it a lot. It was great. 10 out of 10. Um, Layla, why are we talking about Final Fantasy 10 10 2? Uh, because it is perhaps the most formative piece of media for both you and I outside of Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> It's bad. Like, I was, we were talking, okay, we talked about this like a month ago. Why were you, why are you in your Final Fantasy X feelings a month ago? I don't remember. Okay, so I have been in a, uh, uh, my mother and I, uh, in our native tongue, called it a depression psychologism, which loosely translates to a, like a psychodepressive episode, basically, but it has like a a comical tilt to it. Um... And uh, I, uh, I, I've really been trying to, as I'm like recovering from deep, deep burnout, uh, reconnect with the things that I really, really loved and the things that uh, made me want to start drawing in the first place, which in my case is anime and JRPGs. Like that is why I picked up a pencil when I was a child. Uh, so I am we're currently working my way backwards. Uh, I've taken a little pause uh because i'm prepping for the breath of the wild sequel and the elden ring dlc and replaying those games uh but i'm working my way backwards through the uh final fantasies 10 and back uh so i did 10 and 10 2 uh next one is 9 uh and when i when i 10 2 is the one that changed my brain chemistry when i was a child uh i never got to finish it because i was bad at video games at the time and actually this is a fun little anecdote that'll tell you everything you ever need to know about me. Uh, but I gr- I did so much grinding in 10-2 as a kid that I hit a level cap and I didn't understand that you could cap. Like, I, that didn't cross my mind. So I thought my game was broken and I never finished it. Uh, huh. Yeah. <laughs> Just grinding dress spheres for hours. So, uh, yeah. So, um I realized I played 10-2 with no context, which I really think opened my heart to the concept of being confused by Kingdom Hearts all the time. Yeah. Uh, I realized I'd never played 10, so I finally played 10 for the first time, and I'm different now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
I cannot believe that you played Final Fantasy X for the first time in the year of our Lord, 2022-2023. But aren't you glad <laughs> that I did? Yeah, no, because it's like... So this is a... Uh, my introduction to Final Fantasy X is very strange. Um, when I was like 11 years old, my parents got the wild idea to host um, like a foreign exchange student um at my house and this guy bernie from germany came over and he was kind of a dick um he kind of sucked um but he did introduce me to final fantasy 10 um and like i would watch him like play it um and like i i just have like a lot of memories because you know it's it's a it's and he like maxed out the game like got everyone's legendary weapons like did all this shit like 100 of it so like you know I, I watched him play for like you know dozens upon dozens probably over 100 hours um but, like, I remember watching him play, and, like, it, it was just, all of it was so enthralling and captivating. I was just, like, so entranced by this game that, like, it, even though I never actually played it, it really stuck in my in my head for, like, years until um, 10 years later, uh, I, you know, it was in college, and I got it, you know, on a whim. I got, actually, I emulated it um, on, my, on my PC, and... Um, I I loved it so much and it like I remembered how much I, I cared about it that I on my twenty first birthday I got really drunk and I started singing the hymn the, of the faith uh, and my wife um, then girlfriend had to keep locking me in the bathroom because I was just drunkenly singing the hymn of the faith and threatening to throw up um, but yeah no Final Fantasy X like even like today like or you know not today but like currently as, as i like submit books to be you know potentially published um to my agent like i'm just like oh i probably should have just this this final fantasy at 10 has more in common with the book that i just wrote than like you know any other one piece of media and it's just like i it is like almost embarrassing to the degree that this this game has like affected me <laughs> yeah it's uh i mean like i played it a month ago and it was one of those moments for me where I was like, oh, right, this is why I love video games so much. This mm -hmm. is, like, this is the point of making a narrative interactive. Uh, it's it's truly enthralling, and she was before her time, uh, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll maybe get into why... Um, couple reasons why uh, maybe this game didn't take off the way the rest of the franchise has um we, we've we've done some light speculating on this privately that we can revisit. yeah i, I mean we can but like the, the fact of the matter is like I, I went back and reviewed it it reviewed very well it was received very well but like it just didn't have the same cultural impact as some of its contemporaries which is a fucking shame yeah it's like the inverse of james cameron's avatar which is to say it's a really good thing that had no cultural yes impact. exactly <laughs> thank you for sending me all the the full store shelves full of <laughs> avatar toys that no child will touch with a 10 foot whale bone you are so welcome yeah we were we were uh palling around in gamestop and every store you go into i swear to god there's just so much avatar merch that's still sitting on the shelf mm -hmm. uh would you care to take us through one of the most important games uh ever made yeah yeah so it starts with titus um he's a blonde blitzball player which is basically like soccer but underwater um and it's really cool it's in a big like sphere of water um but he lives in the city of xanarkand 
Um, and he's like kind of a pop punk guy, but he's like a blitzball star. He's like, you know, a very good blitzball player. And like he, you know, tons of adoring fans come up and, and ask him to, you know, sign their balls and teach him how to play and uh, teach them how to play. And like all the girls come up to him and he's like, wow, I'm so popular and cool, but I hate my dad. <laughs> His dad's name is Jekt. He was a blitzball player before him. Uh, and he mysteriously disappeared 10 years ago, uh, just kind of left Titus high and dry. And it really, you know, you know, it sucked. And Titus is very sad and he hates his dad for that. Yeah. But, and he dubiously, listen, it could have been anything. It's Final Fantasy, right? He could have been, uh, disappeared. He could have been evaporated. He could have been killed or he could have just left, uh, to buy some fucking chocobo milk or whatever and never come back. How do you milk a chocobo real quick? <laughs> With determination and grit. That's fucking right. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we don't know why he disappeared. We just know that he disappeared. Um, but during one of his Blitzball games, uh, a big fuck off whale shows up um, uh, and it uh, destroys the city. It sends out a big shockwave, blows up the city. Uh, and we meet Oren, who is um, like a guy the with saddest gay uncle. That's fair. Um, he he, um, he is like a, like a big red high collar, like a big cool coat. Uh, he always has his arm up in a sling for some reason, except when he when he's fighting. Um, but he like carries his big sword on his shoulder like Cloud does. Um, but he's like he was um, Titus's guardian. Basically, he came back after Jack disappeared and, and you know, watched over Titus um, and, you know, uh, or and, you know, first rescues Jack or uh Titus from the you know the destruction of of the city but then the monster shows up and there's a big like portal of light and Titus is like getting sucked up into the air and Orin like catches him for a moment but then lets him go and he's like oh are you sure he's like talking to the big whale and it's like huh that's probably not important um but then he throws him up uh, and Titus gets thrown a thousand years into the future <gasps> wow yeah it's it's crazy he wakes up uh very kingdom hearts like he wakes up in the water and he sees a bunch of people laughing and waving to him on the beach and he, he they like hit him with a blitz ball or something and he if the first thing he does upon being teleported a, a millennia into the future is do a sweet blitz ball <laughs> kick. Uh, <laughs> and everybody's like oh shit this rando that washed up on the shore we gotta have him in our team um but he quickly learns that he's in the world of spira he's introduced to uh waka who is like uh I would say, like, a Polynesian, like, I feel like, you know, Final Fantasy X draws a lot from, like, Southeast Asia, um, but he, he reminds me kind of, like, somewhere between a Polynesian and a Maori person, um, but, like, he's, like, a big dude with, like, big spiky hair, um, and he, he is very religious. The religion that he follows is the, the Church of Yevon, um, and Lulu, we also meet Lulu, who is, like, a big titty goth jeff um, there's no way she around is, that she is the fucking prototype is the thing she is like lulu is is truly big titty goth jeff also really really quick just to go back to oran for like a second you comparing okay. him you comparing him to cloud unlocked something in me which mm-hmm. is to say that i think uh i'm gonna posit this hypothesis um for our listeners uh m- mostly for the for the for the followers of layla the layla stands out there Mm-hmm. The, the the minority Layla uh, army the Layla army um I'm gonna posit that uh Oron is cloud but for Dilf appreciators yeah yeah I'd say that's true that's great fair. okay back to walk uh anyway um but basically you know Titus like meets these new people and he's like oh hey you know where am I uh and they're like hey where are you from and he's like well I'm from Xanarkand and they're like 
the fuck did you just say? And he's like, I'm from Xanarkand. I play for the Xanarkand Abes. You've probably heard of them. You've probably heard of me. And he's like, okay, maybe you've been around Sin too much. Maybe the monstrous toxins fucked you up because uh, Xanarkand got destroyed a thousand years ago. Uh, and it's a holy city, so maybe don't tell people you're from the holy city of Xanarkand. Um, yeah, the assumption is that Titus has, uh, one, syntoxin, two, head injury, three, just stupid. Um, that's kind of, that's kind lot, of... He is a little stupid, but, like, that's just because he's an anime protagonist. <laughs> yeah, he, I mean, oh, he's, he's the dumbest little sweetheart I've ever seen in my life. But, like, those are the three reasons people diagnose him with, like, that's why he thinks he's from Xanderkind. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's quite funny because people still kind of... It makes, it makes him being taken in as one of Yuna's guardians funnier. Yeah, it's like, well, this w- idiot washed up on the shore, and Lady Yuna, for some reason, like, wants to hang out with him, <laughs> so, whatever. Um, but, like, yeah, um, he really quickly learns that, like, there's a weird religion that's in this world, um, the world's name is Spira, um, but, like, like, for instance, Waka does, like, she shows him how to do, basically, like, the sign of the cross, um, and he's like, oh, that's a Blitzball thing. We used to do that back in Xanarkand, like, when we were about to, you know, do, like, get ready for victory. Um, and, like, he he realizes that, like, he, he the world that he's from is very similar to this world, but, like, in many ways is, like, it, the culture of his world has trickled into this. A lot, a lot of Blitzball, in fact, has affected this world. But, like, the main thing is that the big whale that blew up his city... Uh, is named Sin, uh, which, um, if you didn't uh, already know, this is the most Catholic game ever. <laughs> um, but, like, um, that 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 whale's been going around for the last thousand years, like, killing people, uh, blowing up towns and, and, you know, causing destruction and mayhem. But, um, basically, every, you know, ten years, they're able to defeat him. Um, well, that's not true. They never, like, specify this, but, like, Basically, he's defeated, and then for 10 years, there's a period of calm called the calm. Um, but I, w- I was just wondering, like, I wonder how long does it take be- for people to defeat Sin on average? Like, do th- is it, like, there's just, like, a two-week period where it's like, all right, we're all going to have a really, really bad fortnight. <laughs> um. I think, honestly, I would guess it's probably a couple of months because you have to do— So the cycle, the cycle of Sin, right, mm-hmm. is you have uh, the 10-year calm— And then you have a pilgrimage, and the pilgrimage involves picking up at least six aeons. It is conducted largely on foot, if not on chocobo. And, uh, yeah, because the the, uh, Machina air You can't use Machina. They're illegal. They're they're not illegal. They're uh, heretical. The Pope said no, uh, so you can't Mm -hmm. can't have a car. Uh, So it's either chocobo or foot or, like, uh, boat, basically. Uh, Shoe puff. (laughs) <laughs> you can travel and shoot buff. Um, so I would guess, considering everything is like relatively close together, I would say probably like a like a sixty ninety day period of utter chaos. Yeah, yeah. Um, which which is an interesting way to think of it because like they put so much like um you know importance on the pilgrimage and like there's like multiple people doing it, but like it, it's there's also like a like a pretty good chance you'll die doing it um but it's very interesting to me to think that the pilgrimage like it like titus just happened to to show up in the middle of a couple calms um and it does make me want to think like what the world is like outside of the calm uh, um or like inside of the calm where it's like every two you know like every couple 
every every decade it's just like well now it's time for the bad times but you know other than that we're having a normal and good time except for the the church who is always there and watching us but anyway that's speculation um the most important thing here is that he meets uh yuna who um is a summoner which means she can call upon an aeon which is um the spirit of somebody who uh has sacrificed themselves to like become like a cool monster in order to defeat sin um and like basically they turn themselves into a cool monster and give themselves the ability to like be summoned by these like essentially priests um and basically he meets her and she she's like you know um she's she's a very young i think they're both like 17 maybe titus is 18 but like they're, they're both teens um but she she meets him and, and you know yuna's actually the main character of this i don't think that's um you know out, out of the question but like you know, Yuna, um, you know, meets Titus and, and decides that he can come along uh, to to their journey because they're both going to the same city. Because now he's going to play for Waka's Blitzball team. Well, that's um, an interesting. That's an interesting thing because Yuna is the main character of the Spira plot, but mm-hmm. I don't know if she's the main character of Final Fantasy X because Titus is our audience surrogate, so he's our right. our portal. He's our emotional portal. So it's right. really interesting to kind of like be told from Titus's point of view why Yuna is like so good and therefore worth saving right that's that's kind mm-hmm. of the plot here okay yeah that's a good point uh, i just mean like you know her her character her arc her story arc is like you know in the story the the one that matters and and the way that Titus is you know intersects with her is basically just like hey i met this cool girl and i want to save her um but um Basically, we also learned that Yuna is the daughter of Braska, who who had ten years ago defeated Sin, um, and um, eventually like was traveling not only with Orin but with Jekt. Um, so Jekt actually ended up in Spira just like Titus. Um, but basically, uh, they go and they um, you know. Titus joins the pilgrimage. He's going to help her find the final Aeon. That's the big thing. They have to gather all these Aeons, and then they get the final Aeon, which is the strongest Aeon, uh, the strongest monster they can use to defeat Sin and bring him back the calm. Um, But, like, this is where he learns, you know, Sin is only ever defeated for 10 years um, because Spira is caught in a spiral. A spiral of death. Everything in Spira is surrounded by death. Um, there, there's a whole culture around death and Blitzball is largely popular because everything else is just trying to distract from the fact that like everything is so precarious. Um, and you know, you, you can't build a city cause in 10 years, you know, a big monster whale is going to show up and wreck your shit. Um, they're constantly atoning for a war that happened a thousand years ago. Um, and people, you know, built, you know, weapons of mass destruction with machines, machina, they call them. And the church tells them that that's the reason that they have to atone. And that's the reason that sin comes back and and wipes them out every 10 years. Um, Yeah. So one of the first things that Titus gets to see Yuna do, one of her summoner duties is to do something called ascending. So if you've ever seen one of the like high quality uh, Final Fantasy X cutscenes that goes around as Yuna like standing on the water, like Christ himself and doing this dance and a bunch of like sparkly souls float up around her. So that's, that is referred to ascending, right? It's it's a dance that, that guides the spirits of the past onto the far plane which is the spirit world of of spira and uh if you don't send souls the unsent can turn into fiends um so that's actually an important thing for when we talk about x2 in a little while um, well, it's also important to this 
It's also important to this, yeah. but it makes X2 a little wild. Uh, yeah. So yeah, the fiends are the unsent. Um, and it, you get this moment of just like, like immediate... It's, it's such a beautiful scene and it's so sad and it's framed through Titus watching this like beautiful young girl who he's like immediately attracted to do one of the most beautiful, sad things he's ever seen in his life. And that sets the tone for the death spiral, right? Right, right. Like he, you know, there's like bodies everywhere. It's like, it is truly a very emotional scene just watching her, you know, perform essentially a mass funeral for this little headless little town that just got obliterated by an incomprehensible monster. Um, and, and he just is like, okay, this is this is what life is like. I, I gotta, you know, I gotta get through it. We gotta we gotta make sure this doesn't happen to anyone else. Um, and it's, oh, it's it's so good. Um, this the thing is that when I say this is a Catholic game, I don't mean that like you need to have you know a working knowledge of Catholicism to interpret that, um, which it, it helps. But like there is um there is a level of like guilt, right? You are always atoning for your sins, and like you must always be aware of like the suffering that's going around you. I think I think Spira is like so perfectly aligned with the experience of being a Catholic person uh, that, that like that's in particular why it hit me. Like this was the first game or like first experience I had as a young person. I was like, what if the church is bad? What if? Yo, what if <laughs> what if the church was man? Good thing the church isn't bad. That would be fucked up. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyway, so um, we after this we go to the blitzball tournament, you know, um, and we meet Seymour, who is um, basically a high priest of the Guado, which are like humans but they have long arms and green veins in their heads. And Seymour shows up to do two fucking things: one, be a complete creep; two, serve cunt. That motherfucker shows up with a flair for the dramatic like I've never seen before. <laughs> he is a dramatic motherfucker. He sucks so bad. He's a he's a weirdo pervert. But like when he shows up and like the fiends attack the blitzball tournament, he's like, ah, let me call my mom real quick. Um, and he summons the most horrible mummy aeon in the world that shoots like dark magic out of its eye as it screams um you should if you don't oh god just look this up on on youtube look up seymour you know summons anima um because it is horrible to watch like i i i i think i'm sure i saw this as an 11 year old i was like oh my christ what is that uh and like anima has stuck with me for years and years and years and years um i like that that monster design really really stuck with me in a way that like i all of this game stuck with me in such a big way but anima especially um but basically um they you know they meet seymour he's a he's a pervert um he's a pervert in but, both both senses of the words we use pervert right. in two ways he's a pervert right. he, parentheses religious pervert parentheses sexual yes um he at this point titus is reunited with oron who reveals that not only did he travel with Jekt at one point? Not only that he did he and Braska and Jekt all go together to, to defeat Sin, but Jekt is Sin. <laughs> um, 
not like, you know, defeating your dad is like, you know, the ultimate struggle of a young man and you have to overcome your own your own stuff and become your own like person and and realize that like the, you know, shame you feel from your, your father not being able to live up to him, you know, is is like the ultimate sin of becoming a, a young man in the world, but no, he like literally is the whale. Uh he he, he became the whale. Um and like Titus is like that <laughs> Why? No! <laughs> um, and uh, he doesn't take it super well, but like, you know, um, it just starts getting a little bit, he's like, this is bad, man. I keep learning about this world. And the more I learn about it, the more fucked up it is. I hate that. Uh, also, they meet Riku, who is Yuna's cousin. Um, she is an albed, which means she is part of the um, like group of people who are not part of the Church of Yemen. They use Machina, and they live largely in the desert. Um, and it is remarkable to me that the albed are like this is this game came out in two thousand and two, which means it was developed before nine eleven. Um, and like, if this game ha- had come out like two years later. The Albed would be a completely different read. It'd be like, oh, like you would be like, oh, clearly this is like an allegory for the way that we are, you know, treating Muslim people, right? And the ways that which we are terrorizing them. And like, it is, it is wild. I, I want that read on Final Fantasy X, which is like they unintentionally critiqued the invasion of Iraq. <laughs> um. Yeah, before it fucking, before it ever fucking happened. Uh, yeah, yeah. I- I find it very fun that like uh, so you can pick up items in the game called Albed Primers and they just like unlock letters to translate mm-hmm. them for you and then letter by letter you can like reveal what the Albed are saying which I yeah. think is a not how language works but it is a very fun mechanic. Uh, I mean I don't know I took Spanish for a long time and that's kind of my understanding of Spanish now it's like oh okay I, a couple of those letters turned up pink for me. <laughs> I took uh, French, and most of the letters go off into the void to do something filled with ennui. I'm sure you don't. You don't need most of them. Um, I don't remember what happens. I don't know where exactly in the timeline Operation Mehen happens. It's around. But basically, here. It, it, yeah. Basically, they try to defeat um, Sin without using the Aeons or the Final Summoning. They just get a bunch of like machine weapons. The Crusaders and the Albed all work together. Uh, and they fight Sin, and it's, like, another, like, like just, like, crushing scene where, like, Sin, like, wipes the fuck out of, like, a ton of people, just slaughters them. Um, and, like, it's also revealed that, like, one of the priests who is, like, who's planning it, like, knows it will not work, and they go through it with it anyway because they're just, like, I don't, I'm not sure what the purpose of uh, Operation Mihen is in the story besides to be, like, so there is really no way other to defeat Sin, uh, other than just like you know, doing it, you know, summoner v v sin. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Operation Mehen? I thought it was very sad, because guess what you do after Operation Mehen goes down? You walk among all the fucking corpses. Yeah, yeah. You just have it's like truly like a D Day scene where there's just like bodies strewn across the beach, and you're like, Jesus. It is the way this game treats death is fucking brutal, right? Because we're so used to like. Uh, killing mobs of, like, area enemies, and we don't even really think about it. Well, because most of your area enemies are fiends, human death really fucking hits. Uh, So seeing all these corpses is just bonkers. It's bad. It's bad. There's, like, a scene where, like, there's only one chocobo left in like this entire unit of chocobo knights. And they're just like, this is our, we make pretty bad chocobo knights with only one chocobo. And the poor chocobo is just like, it's very sad. Um, 
but yeah, anyway, they go to Guadalcalam, uh, which is the hometown of the Guado, um, and Seymour proposes to Yuna, um, which he, you know, he's he's not a teenager. <laughs> um, he's probably like 22, because this is a, a Japanese uh, game, and like everybody in, in Japanese media is very young, but like, um, you know, it's still gross. He, he is a grown man. <laughs> But they reveal that Seymour is actually evil. Surprise, surprise! He killed his dad, um, and uh, they they you know they confront Seymour. They kill him. They straight up kill the man. Um, and in uh, one of God's most annoying boss fights. Yeah, I know because his um his like buddies like keep shielding him. Right, they have like two two dudes who keep protecting him. It's it sucks. Um, but like any time anyway, they figure out that they don't have time to send his spirit to the far plane. Which means that he is able to live on as an undead person. Um, and they, you know, get attacked by Sid again. Uh, and they have to retreat to the place where the Albed live. Um, and then that place immediately gets under attack because the Albed have actually been kidnapping summoners. Um, and when they, you know, they fight through the, the home city of the Albed. Uh, and they discover, you know, they find all where all the summoners are. Oh, oh yeah. Ahead. They don't they don't go there because they're attacked by Sin. They go there because they kidnapped Yuna. Okay, yes, they did kidnap Yuna. Yeah. That's what happened. Okay. Um, so they, they go to there to try to, like, rescue Yuna. And, you know, they you know they, they find that the reason that the Albed have been capturing all the summoners um, is because when the summoner calls the final Aeon, it kills them. And they don't want that to happen to these people. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Big reveal. That's why Braska's dead. Yeah. I wonder what this has to do with Jekt being sin. Hmm. Hmm. Seems bad. Um, but, like, there's this point where, like, in the cutscene where Titus gets this reveal, like, nobody will look at him. Like, everybody's, like, like kind of just ignoring him whenever he asks these questions. And then finally, when it's revealed, he's just like, why didn't anybody tell me and they're just like well we you know it was too hard to say <laughs> and like the fact that like they all were going on this journey like knowing yuna was gonna die at the end and titus was the only one it's just so sad that he was like i can't believe i said all these oh he's like oh fuck i said all these things to her like i said we would come back and like we would go to this village and like you know we would we'd have parties in xanarkand and like all this like stuff and then to reveal that like this was always a one-way trip titus is just like gutted it is such a it's like listen i don't know that media always needs to have a twist but like this was absolutely one of those things where like the the reveal like really hit for me at the time and even now you know rewatching this analysis which we'll put in the chat i watched a really good analysis by youtuber um andy's take um four and a half hour analysis of the game um good shit um but like it, it seeing all the ways in which this game foreshadows the fact that like it's gonna be really bad like there's a lot of reveals that happen in this scene and like they they set them all up in a really fun way and like it, it really does make reviewing the experience again impactful yeah and uh i think this is a really good spot aaron for you and i to take a little pause and okay. mount a fucking vehement defense of the laughing scene Okay, all right. Because the it, context <sighs> of the laughing scene is important. 
So, yeah, right. If you know anything about Final Fantasy X, you've probably seen the cutscene with Titus and, and Yuna going, ha, 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 like doing a, a laugh that is very atonal and upsetting and clearly forced. Uh, it sucks to listen to. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you listen. I don't know if there's probably like two people who have gotten to this point in the podcast. And thank you for listening. Um, if you haven't noticed uh, already, this is a this is a world swamped, literally, you know, in death. Right, everybody's dying. Everybody, there is a culture of death. Uh, every, like all the priests are preparing their whole lives to go on a pilgrimage to die to become the new death monster because they are atoning for their sins. The reason they're doing this laugh is because like they've just come out of like one of those scenes where Sin has murdered a bunch of people, uh, and Titus is trying to cheer up Yuna, and he's just like, "Well, we should laugh like you know. I think it's time for a big laugh, and like it's clearly forced. It's clearly something that like they are they are just trying to white knuckle through, uh, but like." You know, they're doing this forced, terrible laugh on purpose because otherwise they would have to, like, confront their terrible reality. And then afterwards, they do break into a more natural laugh. Yeah, because uh, Yuna knows she's doing all this to die. And if she doesn't do it fast, a ton of people are going to lose their lives. It's a real exaggerated trolley problem, right? Do you kill the one (laughs) to save the rest? And uh, Titus, at this point, doesn't yet know that's a fucking thing for her. So what he Mm -hmm. sees is his really sad friend mourning the deaths of all these people. So he goes over to cheer her up. And in context, it is very sweet, and I like it a lot. It's it's very good. It's actually very good. Listen, context is important, as it turns out. (laughs) Um, In stories, the things that happen before a certain event happens are important to inform how that event plays out. Uh, that's storytelling 101. Aye. Anyway, um, they basically what happens is after ugh, there's a bit where this is another bit that like we're watching this review. I was like, I cannot believe how good this game is. But like, so the, the Albed, you know, home like, city is attacked by both the church and a bunch of fiends. And, you know, they get all the, the summoners out of there. They get as many people out as they can. And then the um, the Albed starts singing the hymn of the faith, um, and it's just like really quiet. And they all start like you know, all these like gruff blonde men start singing the hymn of the faith, uh, and, and like they all all of a sudden like Titus is like, "What the fuck's going on?" And then Rika's like, "They're they're gonna blow up home," um, and like they destroy their home city uh, to to you know kill all the monsters and to to you know escape and it's just like i i love that that scene where it's like a bunch of people who aren't really into the faith like are like you know what it it is truly in god's hands now like we have to memorialize the loss of our home like holy shit this game's relationship to music is so magical because the hymn of the faith represents moments of such intense humanity where it's like you start when you're especially when you're in these like smaller cities and you're you're with these kind of outskirts settlements or with the albed you start to kind of understand that the hymn of the faith represents a a deep connection to community to humanity and to uh prayer as a method of hope and prayer as a method of centering on the calm that is to come and then those things become more and more artificial the deeper you get into the infrastructure of the of the like yevonite formal religion so the deeper you get into the quote-unquote church the more artifice those things have yeah, I want to talk about the hymn of faith. Um, actually, so 
first, the hymn of the faith has lyrics. Um, so if you want to start with the lyrics, the lyrics are this: "Ie yui no bo no ren miri yoju yogo hasate kanae kutamae," which isn't Japanese, but it, it's a cipher. And if you switch some of the characters around, you get actual words. Um, which translates to faith, dream, you, Yevon, pray, please grant prosperity without end, um, which is kind of fun. But also in the the like lore of the world, the hymn of the faith actually is not a religious song. It is a protest song um, because it was sung in defiance of Bevel because in a thousand years ago, there was a big machine war between Xanarkand and the city of Bevel. Um, and that's where we get sin from, but like, eventually like the people who were, you know, from Bevel forbade the song, but then because they didn't like it, it started becoming a song that was like anti-church, became an anti-Yevon song, which is why the Albed starts singing it. Um, and then, you know, it becomes like this big protest song against the church. So at this, at this point, the church is like, okay, we're going to change this from um, a song that's protest. We're going to say this is a song that honored the dead. Um, they just completely take it and repurpose it and say that it is a song that is actually it's actually good for us. And like I just kind of love that way. That's like you know over you know thousands of years or like a thousand years. You know, this is the way that religion kind of takes the the things that are you know this is at least Catholicism and, and Christianity generally like re retakes things that are criticisms of it and like reprocesses it and spits them back out. So anyway, once home is destroyed, um, you know, they, Titus has the truth revealed to him. Basically they, they realize that Yuna, you know, has been kidnapped by Seymour. He is taking her to Bevel to, you know, make her, uh, marry him because as we stated before, he's a pervert. Um, and they show up, they have to fight a dragon, that is just there <laughs> in the space in space uh it's not really ever explained why bevel just has a guard dragon but you do have to kill the guard dragon which is very funny to me um but then they they uh, this is one of my favorite bits in this too is when they like attack the wedding and they have the like rendered cutscene. do you do you know what i'm talking about oh yeah this this is one of those things that is so criminally 2000s it's mm-hmm. beautiful, right? There's no fucking point to any of this. They it's just, really good. They just wanted to fucking amp up the drama. You got this gang of misfits running up to this wedding, you know, the classic uh, speak up or forever holds your peace horse shit. They don't mm-hmm. actually say that, but that's the vibe. Yeah. And at this point, Titus is like pretty heavily into Yuna and Yuna's into him, but she's like too sad to do anything about it because she's so resigned to her duty as the uh, as a summoner. And uh, she's there in the most 2000s dress I've ever seen in my life. It's high-low. It's got feathers. Her hair is in that spiky little bun thing. It's incredible. So she goes to marry Seymour. And uh, then she tries to send him. And he's like, that's not going to work. And so (laughs) she jumps off a building and as she's falling, summons her flying Aeon Ifrit. Uh, Valifor. Valifor, sorry. Summons her flying Aeon Valifor to catch her, bring her back up, and then everybody can whip Seymour's ass for a second time. 
it's really good. It's uh, just remember, seeing Yuna do the falling summon is so sick because she's just like, you know, like they they like do the, the cutscene where they attack the thing and they are like sliding down those ropes and Titus does like this like f- like side flip over from one cable to the other while they're all shooting at them is so fun. Um, but then like when Yuna like is like, you know what, you, you know, I'm not gonna let you shoot my friends. I'm gonna jump off this building and then like you see the like glyph of the summon trigger as she is falling and Valifor comes and scoops her out of the sky that's so sick um this game is like extremely dramatic in all the best ways and i i love it yeah but yeah I'm, i mean like you know the first kiss between yuna and titus is in this like music video pool with a bunch of glowing sh- like it's cool okay mm-hmm. they it's fun it's so good i think it's this game is the epitome of cringe but free Right, no, like, this is truly, like, I wish that we had more just, like, really silly, well, I guess we'll get to cringe but free here in a bit when we talk about Ted 2, oh, but, God. um, yeah, you know, I do wish we had more stuff that was like, you know, it's not incredible, you know, it, I mean, it is incredible, right, it is so, it is so into its own shit that it, it like, you know, that, that it goes all the way, it's like, oh, I can't believe you, you believe your, ho- your own stuff so much, but, like, listen, you kind of have to, right? Uh, if you're going to go that hard on something, you might as well go whole hog, and you got to respect that. If you want that kind of melodrama, you cannot be self-conscious about it. Right, right. And Final Fantasy X is not self-conscious about anything. Um, another really fun beat that is, like, kind of ultimately not super important to the story, but, like, is a really thematically important is they get tried because they you know they've killed seymour uh they keep trying to kill seymour uh and they get ca- tried and captured you know by the the court of the you know the church of Yevon, and like you know they make their cases like hey we're trying to send seymour back he's an unsent he's a fiend like we we have to send him to the far plane it's it's my duty as a summoner to do that and the the pope maester micah he's like oh yeah but if you did that you'd have to send me too and it's revealed that he's also undead and like you know it, they're just like well fuck this sucks and like you know obviously they escape the the prison that they're sent in and it's all fine ultimately but like i love that thematic bit where it's just like everything in about the yevonite religion is so fucked up like all the way from the top it is all death like the the people leading it are just like perpetually alive you know they're all this they, they call upon their followers to die for them um like it's all trapped in that spiral or lays it out in a speech later on in the game but it's just like i love that bit where it's like oh yeah the church it's bad and this is why (laughs) (laughs) yeah um i'm gonna i have things to say here but i'm gonna put a pin in it and then i have a very impassioned rant for the end (laughs) oh great good um anyway they escape they keep pushing towards xanarkin and end up at mount gagazette which is the home of the round so um which we didn't I didn't I forgot to introduce Kimari earlier. Um Kimari is a big lion man who's like been Yuna's guardian since she was a ch- was a child, like since she was 7. Um I love I, Kimari. He's great. And Kimari is one of those characters that when I look at I'm like I don't know how I'm not a furry cuz I'd climb <laughs> like a tree. Oh boy. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's just the truth. So, uh I love Kimari. I love this fu- Mount Gagazette fuckery. Um do I love that the Ronso speaking like broken english for no good fucking reason not really but it's whatever the main ronso guy speaks regular 
He's yeah. he's like everyone else in Spira. I don't fucking get any of that's coming from. But I you mean, know what? I don't know. Like, listen, Final Fantasy is not above racializing its non-human characters in bad and questionable ways. Um, but listen, it's you know, it, it, that is a thing that happened a lot. See, uh, Star Wars. <laughs> um, but there is such a fun. I love the Mount Gagazette shit so fucking much. I love that when you get up up there, the Ronso sing at you. That's cool. I cried. The Ronso hymn of the faith is incredible. I love when you get up there, you realize that Kimari, despite being like seven or eight feet tall, is actually a runt in comparison yeah. to everyone else. That's fucking cool. That's so fun. I also, uh, on a mechanical note, really love that when you fight Kamari's two childhood rivals, uh, you can spend about mm, a quarter of the fight just stealing attacks from them, and it actually powers up Kimari in a really big way. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. Um, I it's, and then you go and you talk shit to all the fucking Ronso. It's incredible. Um, I love Mount Gagazette and the reveal of fucking when you climb it, guess who's back, bitch? Seymour. <laughs> it's Seymour again. And he's killed every other Rodso but Kimari. Yeah. Uh, I think that's not true. I think in Ten Two, like Kimari is actually leading like the Ronso remnant. Like there there are other people left yeah, over, and but like Yuna tells them to commit genocide on the fucking um on, on, not on Guadalajara. Uh, oh my God! Why am I blanking on the name of the the, the long arm people? That's the Guado, yeah. Yeah, the Guado, yeah. You know, you have to tell them to do genocide on the Guado to one hundred percent the game. What? Layla, what are you fucking talking about? Okay, yeah. So, um, I was following a guide to one hundred percent FFX two because there's no point in playing FFX two if you don't one hundred percent it because. Why would I play it other than to bring mm-hmm. Titus back? And you have to 100%. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah. So when I was following the guide, uh, the Ronso are like super pissed at the Guado for the, mm-hmm. you know, murder. Uh, and uh, for some godforsaken reason, you literally have to tell them, actually, it was the Guado's fucking fault and you should you should get revenge on them. Um, that's like a thing you have to tell the Ronso to that 100%. That seems wrong wild right yeah that's seems like kind of like the a complete antithesis of yuna's whole shit but okay sure mm. Mm. <laughs> anyway uh anyway, anyway you kill seymour again uh and you so this is a, a third a third you, 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 that <laughs> motherfucker takes hits like man you just keep killing that dude uh anyway uh they they at this point, they finally get to Xanarkand, and you, like, get the cutscene that happens, like, at the f- beginning of the game where Titus says, you know, listen to my story, this might be the last time, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, like, very sad because they're all about to, you know, enter the final stage uh, and learn the truth. Um, but one important thing is while they're traveling to, like, the, you know, in the ru- ruins of Xanarkand, they come upon a big fucked up statue. <laughs> um, and the only way I can describe it is, like, it's just a bunch of bodies, <laughs> like just like piled together like a horrible flesh sculpture uh and they learn that that is the faith of um Xanarkand um and we you know i think that this has kind of been alluded to throughout the game but basically they reveal that like there is a big machine war between Xanarkand and Bevel a thousand years ago 
Um, and like that, you know, resulted in like this, you know, big, all this destruction, you know, this is, this is the, where the prohibition on Machina comes from. But the, but Bevel, you know, was about to destroy Xanarkand. And in order to, you know, preserve Xanarkand, um, you know, in, you know, in the memory of everybody who, you know, was about to die, you know, a ton of people in Xanarkand sacrificed themselves and they turned into this sculpture. And that does create a Xanarkand, a dream Xanarkand. And that's where Tidus is from. <laughs> uh, how do you feel about this reveal, Layla? Uh, uh, it's wild. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you get hit with so much traumatic imagery all at once. And then it's like, yeah, by the way, your boy's not real. He's a dream of the faith and we'd like to stop dreaming. Because their whole point is like, well... A bunch of fucked up shit keeps happening, so we're hoping this, like, dream instead of a real person can can break the cycle, break mm-hmm. the spiral, if you will, uh, a spiral of death and Spira. Uh, and uh, it's sad, and uh, Titus is not telling Yeah, <laughs> so I don't know how to feel about this as a narrative move, Um I think the main things it does, like, it's been set up, right? They they keep hinting to the fact that there's something wrong with Titus, um, to the fact, like, they keep, like, making references to, you know, things being, like, a dream and waking up. Um, so, like, I think that it is a completely fine, you know, I think it's been set up okay. Um, but I don't know what the point of it is. Like, I don't know if it makes it better that Titus isn't just from a thousand years in the past. He's also you know, never existed. Um, like, I don't know that that makes it necessarily better as a, as a storytelling move, except for the fact that it makes this story, like, eminently very sad. It, like, completely precludes there being a, a true happy ending. Um, because Titus will disappear, um, and ultimately, you know, at the end of the story, he does. He, he you know, the, they defeat Sin, and he, he vanishes. Um, I don't know how I feel about this, because, like, I, it does seem like just kind of a way to add stakes and weight to the end of the game where it's like it's not a full happy ending like you know despite everything that you've been through there has to be one final gut punch um and like listen you know as uh, an ardent you know lover of you know stories by Fonda Lee and Rebecca Kwong I love stories that are just like let's get one last hit in so like you can't fully celebrate um whenever I run my D&D games whenever I um you know write my my books I always want there to be like one last like it everything is bittersweet because I do feel like it makes you know the story feel more impactful if if there is like a truly a big loss there at the end even if you ultimately win but I don't know that you know I don't know, like, this is a weird way to do it, certainly. It's it's weirder than just, like, having Titus die. I think I like it, and I'll tell you okay. why. Um, so, to me, I guess you're getting my big impassioned rant now. So, because uh, it, <laughs> it directly ties into what I'm about to say. So... To me, one of the key, uh, one the thing that Final Fantasy X is about to me, like the key thematic kind of overarching narrative here is uh, Final Fantasy X is a story about the corruptible nature of the human will to survive and how a small group of people's lack of willingness to pass on the problems and pass on the torch to the next generation actually contributes to exacerbating those problems. We see that with Seymour, who refuses 
refuses to let go and becomes more and more of a monster every time we see him. We see that with Maester Micah, who becomes insular uh, as he is an unsent. We see that with, um, we'll get to the big final boss, but we see that there perhaps most explicitly. Um, and to me, what uh, Titus being a dream of the faith is, is the faith sacrificed themselves a long time ago, right? A thousand years ago. And they're still people, right? They're still the faith. We see that little boy faith Bahamut, ghost that yeah. talks to Titus throughout the whole thing. Yeah, so he... Um, it, this, to me, feels very much like the a group of people who for a thousand years have watched a cycle repeat itself. You you have the summoner, the summoner fights sin, uh, and then the whole thing, we'll get to how and why it all repeats in literally just a second, uh, but the whole thing cycles through and repeats and you're just going over it again and again and again and again a, a hundred times now, right? Every 10 years for a thousand years. And so to me, the faith taking this dream they had of a home they remember, of making it manifest, and then putting Titus in and, and taking him and ripping him out of out of his home to put him into Spira is the faith's uh, uh, their way of directly interfering with the cycle because they too cannot let go of this problem that has been created. So in order to fully break the cycle, they had to interfere and, and kind of add a rogue element because uh, the closest they ever got to breaking the cycle before was with the first rogue element who mm -hmm. was Jekt. So they found a strat and they're fucking running with it. And the other layer to this is that the the kind of these ancient elements that are that are spiraling and spiraling around in this in this endless cycle, they're um, they have no consideration for the the like human impact of all of this, right? So they don't particularly care that Titus has feelings or for all intents and purposes as a person, they care about breaking the cycle. Same with Maester Micah. Same with anyone who, you know. Uh, came up with this whole stupid summoner shit because the people who are getting the most hurt are the people who are living outside Bavel, are the people living in settlements and the people who have to train and care for and protect these summoners and then let them die at the end. Uh, and so it is, I think to me, it it is a continuation of this theme of, uh, again, the corruptible nature of the human will to survive and this like disregard for the individual lives of others. Uh, in this greater religious context. So I like it. I think that's, that's a very good read. I, I think you're 100% correct. And yeah, I think that's, 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 that's a great way to, to justify it. Um, yeah. Th thank you for that. Um, you're anyway, welcome. we meet Unaleska. <laughs> uh, and she's so Yeah, <laughs> I remember seeing this as an 11 year old and being like, I don't know that I can watch this. Uh, she is wearing like it's not even lingerie, right? It's it's like dental floss. <laughs> it's like truly like the the horniest outfit in the entire world. Unaleska comes out with her pussy to the wind, and I respect. Yeah, that. honestly, it would be less disconcerting if she was just like fully nude. Um, but anyway. There is a certain amount of clothing that is hornier right, than nudity. Right, and this is it. This There's is like it. One hundred. This is the threshold. Yeah. You cannot go farther than this. Um, <laughs> Unaleska. So Unaleska is the daughter of 
Yu Yevin, right? So I think so. Unalaska, right? The big thing, the reason that everybody comes to Xanarkand, right, is because allegedly this is where the faith of the final Aeon is. But when they get there, they find that the faith is empty. It's just a rock. And they're like, hey, what the fuck's going on? And they talk to Unaleska, who is like, I don't know if she, is she an unsent? Is she, you know, is she a faith in her own right? I'm not sure what she is. Is she a ghost? Um, I'm not really sure what her whole deal is. She's Unaleska. She's Unaleska. <laughs> she's, yeah. she's Unaleska. Her pussy's out. She's out here to fucking ruin bitches' days. I respect um, it. And her whole deal is that she's like, so don't worry. Okay, so my husband, you know, he we he was the first guy to defeat Sin, right? And what my job is is to keep turning people, you know, like like he did for like I did for him. I'm not sure exactly how, what their whole weird relationship was, but basically she's like, okay, hey, summoner, pick one of your companions and I'll turn them into a faith and they'll be the final Aeon. And then they'll kill you after you defeat Sin and then they'll become Sin. Um... And so that's why Titus is dead. Is right now. and everybody's like wow i cannot i truly cannot believe the situation's got worse not only is yuna gonna have to die but one of us is also gonna have to die and then we're gonna have to kill her uh, <laughs> uh and everyone is understandably mm-hmm. very upset except for Orin, who's done this before uh, and they actually show or Orin's reaction at the time because like it's full of fly pyreflies which are like basically memory ghosts uh and they watch you know Orin, you know coming back and being like you know trying to kill unaleska uh, and unaleska actually ends up killing him it's at this point that it's revealed that Orin's been dead the whole time too oops um nobody in spear is a real person <laughs> well 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 okay in the flashback she wrecks his shit the reveals at the end <laughs> and it is uh, whoo, we'll talk about the end it i the, the ending, ending of ff10 is um, hard to get through it's so distressing. Um, yeah, so Oron... Okay, we need to talk about the world's saddest gay <laughs> uncle for a minute. We even talked about Jekt and Oren the... and um, Yuna's dad, whose name is Braska. But they Braska. have, like, a weird love triangle going on. It is not even a love triangle. It is one man trying to wrangle the two pettiest queers you'd ever find. So... Braska, Summoner, Yuna's dad, Jekt, Guardian, Titus's dad, the first time the Faith attempted to interfere in the cycle, and then <clears throat> Oran, the world's saddest gay uncle, they, uh, uh, you know, started the road trip, and they left behind just, like, road trip videos <laughs> everywhere, so you can find these spheres, and you could see the three of them just fucking around, and it's always the same, Braska's, same, as his daughter is, reserved, professional, he started to get a job done, and then Oren and Jack just, they want to fuck each other so bad it makes them look stupid. Oran like, and it, they, it is a... Really? Inject, yeah. Hmm. I did yes! not. Hmm. Interesting. Aaron, they want to fuck each other. I haven't seen so I haven't seen bad. the whole road trip videos. I only saw a couple of them. 
It, hmm. Oh my god. It's unbearably homosexual. <laughs> so, like, you know, you get to this point now, and uh, Jack volunteers because he's like, hey man, I'm a deadbeat dad. Like, I have a lot of regrets in my life. Just let me do it. Like, I'm a piece of shit. I'll sacrifice myself for the greater good. Like, whatever, dude. Like, let's just let's just get it over with. And then he turns to Oron and he's like, hey, buddy, um, can you, like, take care of my son for a while? Uh, you know how we're just pals and buddies and we're just friends? Um, yeah, I know. Would you would you go a thousand years into the past to take care of my son for me? And Oron fellow heterosexual is like yes of course friend normal friend i have i will go a thousand years into the past to take care of your son and then i will mourn you for the entire time i'm taking care of him this will be fine uh and uh so oran is traveling with his group reliving his trauma in real fucking time because guess what the pilgrimage is the same fucking route every time so even though he started in bevel right because that's where Braska and you know are from. Now he's doing it from Besed. It's the same route. He's fucking reliving his shit. And he is so sad. And at times, Titus and Yuna get like rightfully frustrated with him, more Titus than anyone else. Because Titus is like, You're hiding shit. Like, what do you know? And Oron very much knows that like two things are going to happen. Either they're going to succeed and they're going to break the cycle or it's just the same shit all over again. And he's so depressed. He's truly the Kakashi <laughs> of this group. He is so gay and depressed. He even has the scar over his eye. It is, it is just eye, a marvel yeah. to watch. Even has a scar. Like, it is a marvel to watch. He is one of my favorite characters in all of literature, uh, hands hands down. Uh, but yeah, so he gets his shit wrecked by Unaleska's naked ass. It is hard to watch. Uh, and, uh, you really do have to buy into your shit so hard here because what happens next is like, well, actually, this has been happening leading up to this point, but now, now it just, like, escalates. Riku and Titus now are the two dumbest people, not a, the, barely a brain cell between the two of them. The entire time this is happening, leading up to Unaleska on Mount Gagazet, and now especially after Unaleska, every time the scene cuts to them, they're like, we're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking, we're thinking. How are we going to save Uni? How are we going to save Uni? We're thinking. They're like really just literally standing there thinking really hard. They're so dumb. <laughs> so you have this, you have this like tragic, like, just just like really digging into the personal emotional impact of repeating this fucking awful cycle of death with Oron and it's so sad and then you cut to the clown the fucking insane clown posse in the corner trying to you know dig themselves out of this situation and like after Unaleska this shit is like the 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 melancholia of it all is so overwhelming what a it's, beautiful game. It's really good. It's really good. We're almost at the end of it, um, you know, an hour into the podcast. Um, but, like... Hard to tell because we've recorded three Yeah, listen, three this has been a rough one. Um, the This is... The Church of You, Yevon, doesn't want this episode to get out, but we are going to fight the power. Um, a big big Yevon right. is trying to stop um, us. They don't like the answer that Unaleska gives them, so they do kill her, um, which is a problem because she's the only one who knows how to turn people into the final Aeon, which means now no one can stop Sin. Well, no one can, you know, make the final Aeon um, to, to kill Sin, which, like, 
seems bad. Um, you know, even if the, the the system wasn't good, it was a way to stop sin, um, which is um, it causes some problems. Uh, it means that they have to do really, really good this last time they fight sin, because otherwise, oopsies, just perma sin. Um, and they're like, all right. We no have to figure out something. We got to learn something about what's going on because this is clearly bad. We're going to go find Maester Micah. We're going to beat him up and he's going to tell us all the dark lore that um, the church doesn't want you to know. Um, and they do that. And Micah's like, wait, you did what? <laughs> you killed who? Uh, I got to go. He dips, but um, he just like just straight. Just like, nope, I'm going to send myself by. Um, he goes to heaven. Um, but like <laughs> um, before he does that, he says some cryptic shit about you yevin who is you know ostensibly the deity of the yevin religion but we haven't really heard that much about him um, i'm sure there has been stuff if you actually replay the game but like you know it's it's yeah quite like it's just minimal. kind of like you know what yevin is mostly used to refer to the church and not the person itself um but basically they for for various reasons they discover that Yu Yevin was a summoner also, and he was in part of this big Machina war going on. He was like, okay, I'm from Xanarkand. Bavel is going to wreck our shit with a huge, like, turbo weapon. I've got to figure out how to stop that. I'm going to summon a really cool monster. And he creates Sin. He wears Sin-like armor, and, I mean, he... That this is how the war ends, right? Uh, Sin, you know, def I think Sin ends up killing the big monster or the big robot. I don't remember. We'll talk about that in 10 too. But basically, Sin becomes so powerful that, like, not only does it, you know, you know, is it this like super strong summon, but also it, it like wipes Yu Yevin's brain like a bad like line of code. And Yu Yevin is stuck. He is constantly doing the last thing he remembers, which is summoning Sin. Um, so that's the reason that Sin can never be permanently defeated, is because they, they only ever defeat the monster Sin, and they don't defeat the little shitty robot program inside him, uh, which is, of course, the ghost of a thousand-year-old priest. Um, and the only way to defeat him, act, defeat Sin permanently, is by getting inside, like literally inside the body of Sin and killing the person who made him. Um, killing the god of um, the Yevonite religion. Um, which, like, listen, this is that good, this is that good, you know. We love to kill god. You know, we'll talk about how, you know, people are, are, you know, a lot of Japanese developers don't like the term JRPG anymore. Or, or like never really like the term JRPG, but like when I think of RPGs that are made by Japanese developers, I think of you know big parties and killing God, and like this is one hundred percent the first time I was like, oh, you can kill God, and me as a Catholic whose whole religion is based around killing God, oh, that's so cool, I guess. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and they do that. <laughs> The sequencing of this end is so fucking good, though. Because, like, you start out fighting big fuck-off whale in mm -hmm. the sky. They blow that his works. arms off with, with like, the airship and a bunch of laser weapons. They blow his arms, arms off with the airship and a bunch of laser weapons, and you fight him on the fucking top mm -hmm. of the airship. Chef, kiss. And then you get inside the motherfucker, and you have to grind through this, like 
Okay, it didn't feel that good to navigate, so this was kind of my least favorite part of the whole experience. But you, like, grind through this kind of, sure. like, fog maze where an encounter happens every That's two annoying. fucking seconds. Um, and then, you know, you get into, like, this weird kind of inner city that he's got going on. You do a couple puzzles, and you grind through, and you're all sweaty and beat up, and you have all these cool weapons, and you're like, ah! And you go, and you get into this fucking lift, and you do this icicle puzzle, and then the ending sequence is just like gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. Because you spend the whole fucking game hearing about how much Titus hates Jack. And he hates his dad. And boo, dad. You never did anything right by me. And then Wait. you walk on that fucking platform. And it's Seymour, firstly. <laughs> oh, we forgot Seymour! One more uh he's Seymour. there for some reason he's like i will become i will become the new sin and destroy spirit you kill him he he gets owned and he's a big fuck off glass fucking stained glass yeah, window at this point in the game you kick his ass so bad it's not even funny he is like a big giant beautiful stained glass window that is more of a puzzle than an actual fight and like again it is that corruptible will to survive right like he's really just mm-hmm. fucking clinging he's like no it's going to be me and he becomes more of a monster every time Mwah! so you get up to the final you, you know you fight him you do the city you you go through and what do you see when you get into like the core of sin but a fucked up floating blitzball stadium and who's standing there it's fucking jacked and you know what their plan has been the whole time to subdue sin they realize that for some reason sin reacts soothingly to the hymn of the faith so their plan is to get everyone in spirit to sing the hymn so that they have enough time to calm sin and actually do what they need to do and so while you have tita seeing his dad for the first time in 10 years jack is so fucking sad about it the whole time and you have him talking about how he can barely hear the hymn anymore where the hymn the whole time has been standing in for people's connection to the core of humanity and their own fucking like interconnectedness it's Josie it's so good it is such a beautiful thematic ending and you you fight the motherfucker twice which by the way you can break his fucking uh turbo attack by having Titus Mm -hmm. talk to him you ever you ever beat a video game by having (laughs) a conversation with your dad Yeah, I did recently. Uh, it was good. Like, this is the perfect like you know father fights the son who you know overcoming your your god dad like perfect like the most dramatic the most over the top shit. It's great. Uh, he does become the final Aeon, which is like a big a- burning like nightmare machine. Um, there's a sick metal soundtrack playing in the background raging. the whole time you're doing it. <laughs> It is, it is the most amped shit in the world. <laughs> like, it feels so good to do. And then, uh, uh, we literally just talked about how JRPGs, but, but this, like, class of RPG, these, like, big turn-based ones that, that, um, there's this, uh, Breath of the Wild is actually a really good example of this, too, but there's this way of sequencing endings, um, that is actually just, 
delicious for, for interactive narrative, which is to say that your final boss fights are like three to four phases, but the only phases that are actual an actual satisfying final test of your skill as a gamer, as a player who has been building on these systems the whole time, because uh, JRPGs expect you to do a lot more preparation than Western games. So like if you play a, a, a six or seven JRPGs and then you play like a Western uh, game from the same time period, in the Western title, you're actually going to end up over over powered about halfway through because you're so fucking used to having to grind and do a ton of preparation in the JRPG because there's a huge skill slope usually around the middle of act two where you're just supposed to know at that point to be like I need to go to every room and fight every fight so you're here you've done all this preparation and if you pre if you've prepared correctly the fight's not that hard you the jacked fight is the final satisfying conclusion to your gameplay journey it is the final beat of being like I did it the big boss is fucking down and then you go to the on rails portion of our evening you are now inside sin and it is time for yuna to summon all of the aeons she's fucking fought so hard to get because they need to get you yevon to possess them and before he powers up too much to become sin again they have to try and kill him. So part two is the satisfying ritualistic conclusion to the core gameplay loop that you've been performing, which is the going and the retrieving of the aeons. You kill them one by one and you say goodbye to the faith. And then part three of this fight is fucked up tick looking motherfucker you yevin just this dark ball of energy with little legs comes out and you give him an on rails fight with the help of the faith where you cannot die and what you are fighting in this one fucking moment is this final culmination of this awful repeated cycle because he knows nothing than the the fucking will to survive and the will to keep going and that has been breaking the world for a thousand years and you finally fucking get him and then you get the most tragic fucking cutscene you've ever watched in your yeah life. i just i want to say like i'm glad you called it ritualistic because like that process of summoning the faith and like cutting them down one by one is like it's like a sacrament it, it is truly the most catholic thing where it's like here's the reading here's the response here is you know the 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 the, the saint the the you know it is truly like the inversion of your your, your entire journey in a way that feels like like a religious experience and like uh i it's it's an incredible incredible moment and i, I just love that and then and then you kill god and god is not that strong which is very fun uh and then and then it all you know then you say goodbye you say yuna starts to send you yevin and oran becomes mm -hmm. collateral mm -hmm. damage and then he just tells her to keep going. Ooh, I'm mm -hmm. getting emotional just talking about it. He just tells her to keep going because he knows his story is done. And he is the narrative foil to Yu Yevin because Yu Yevin and Seymour and Micah and all those chuckle fucks, they didn't know when to stop. They didn't know when to put the torch done down. Oran has seen fucking enough. His journey is over. He is done. His contemporaries are gone. He knows it's done. And he says, keep going. Whoa. <sighs> 
It's good. It's really it's good. Just the thing good about Oren, though, is that he does end up babysitting Sora in Kingdom Hearts 2, which is like very funny to me that like after all this trauma he ends up in hate he ends up in actual greek hell (laughs) (laughs) with another evil gay uncle i cannot rest (laughs) truly the most put upon man in the history of anime absolutely 100 percent. and then you get fucking tita starting to disappear there's a point where Yuna can't see him anymore, and he's just like, "Oh my god!" Like he he like puts his arms around her. She can't she can't like she can't tell he's there. And then he just like I think he jumps off the airship, right? That's yeah. He walks yeah. through her and jumps, but not before he starts leaving. And she goes to tackle him and stop him, and she mm-hmm. goes right through him and right, falls right. through him. And then he jumps off the airship, and the last you see of him uh, for for the moment is him high fiving Jack in the yeah, in the like far that's, plane truly like that that is that is heaven right is like you got your dad's approval and now you're in heaven um after killing him um, yeah after uh, killing him i i don't i don't think i've had a video game give me that experience like i cried harder at kingdom hearts 3 when i played it for the first time like but that's that's all nostalgia that's all like childhood shit like i think as a narrative experience like and, and in a way that the mechanics support the narrative Right, we just talked about the great ways that the boss fights all all play out. Like, I don't, I don't know that there's been a video game that's hit like that for me, like since. Which is which is very frustrating because, like, you know, we talk about video games all the time in this podcast. You know, there's there's a ton of great games out there, but like, man, they don't make shit like this no more. That's why RPGs are just so fucking good, though. But I, I think you bringing up Kingdom Hearts is actually. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3, right? There's that moment where I think I really love the way it's evolved with the tech over the last 20 years because there's a moment where you you kind of keyblade surf and you're you have to call the mechanic is call for help and you hit triangle and then you have to keep hitting triangle and what you're doing is you're flinging all these keyblades at the, at kind of the big boss that you're fighting and every keyblade is assigned a username from somebody else on the network who is like also playing Kingdom Hearts 3. So you're calling mm-hmm. upon all it's, the keyblade It's wielders. actually the top like two hundred players of who who did Union Cross. Yes, yeah, so it's not Is people it really? that are online, which would be better. That's what Nier Automata d- does as well. But um, yeah, it's it's just the people who are uh, really well, really into Union Cross. <laughs> well, that's that's how I read it, and in the moment, yes, that listen, felt really I don't good. want to take that away from you. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, so well, sorry, I'm really keen right. for you. Um, <laughs> No, it's okay. Uh, the other game I think gets kind of pretty pretty close to this feeling for me is Breath of the Wild because it does like a similar uh, similar uh, final boss battle sequencing, which is like uh, when you fight uh, Calamity Ganon in the pit. Uh, that is again the the conclusion of your gameplay journey when you fight Calamity Ganon. On the surface, Link pops up, gets a horse. Where'd the horse come from? Doesn't matter. I don't care. Doesn't matter. He'll get Link on his beautiful white horse if you got the white horse, which I did because I'm a gamer. Uh, and uh, he runs around, and the whole the whole mechanic of the battle is Zelda gives you a big fuck off OP bow that can't break. She shows you exactly where to shoot, and then there's this like gorgeous 
dynamic soundtrack that changes with the phase of the battle. And the final phase of the battle is literally Ganon standing there in his big fuck-off beast form. And he shoots a big fuck-off laser. It's super easy to dodge. But what the laser does is it creates an updraft. So Link, while these like violins are cycling through aggressively in the background, everything is red and gold. Link flies up, Ganon opens his big eyeball, and you shoot him. Gameplay-wise, super, like, nothing. But with Zelda's narration, the whole, like, um, uh, uh, courage does not need to be remembered because it, is, it has never been forgotten monologue that she does. That on top of the horse and the wind and the sun and the color. Like, it is this culmination after you've spent the whole game running around and, and you, like, you see Hyrule Castle almost everywhere you go because it's that's how it's laid out at the lowest point of the landscape with everything higher surrounding it. So you're always, always pointed towards the castle. Um, I, like, it's such a satisfying narrative arc. And it, it, it's one of those things where, like, you understand the point of interactive narrative and and what the interaction adds to that. I think I got to replay Breath of the Wild. Hmm. I think you do cuz it's yeah, real fucking I, I good. I guess I played Breath of the Wild when I was a hospital nurse. Um so like all of my I was very depressed. So maybe that's why I didn't it didn't hit for me like it hit for everybody else. Um you, you should replay it and don't bother doing all the shrines. Uh, I did the prizes. Yeah, <laughs> listen, I've, yeah, listen, the master sword uh, is great and all, but it's, it's fine. <laughs> no, the master sword is, is a key part of the narrative. The prize for all the shrines is Link's uh, green uh, outfit. Okay. Well, that's dumb. Yeah. Um, anyway, speaking of mm, questionable ways to end a story, uh, do you want to talk about Final Fantasy X-2? <laughs> Yeah, so it's a Final Fantasy X themed arcade. Yeah, um, you know, notably this this game was, you know, Square was under financial, um, you know, hardships. This is actually the last game that Square Soft does, right? Um, before they become Square Enix, um, and they, um, you know, they're they're having some financial hardships. So like they they reduced the staff of this game to a third, but it's all people who worked on ten, like the original ten. Um, they're able to get it done in two years. Um, and they reuse assets like a motherfucker, uh, basically. Which, like, FromSoft does that, too. That's yeah, like, just listen, I, I'm not, I'm not begrudging them that. Although there is, like, a bit where Yuna or Lulu is supposed to be nine months pregnant and she just looks the same because it's the same character model. And it's like, eh, listen, it's fine. It's truly fine. Do you know what their, do you know what their in-game No, please tell me. It's just her corset's so tight, it's pushing the baby fucking That's... into her really upsetting to me um you shouldn't probably wear a corset when you're pregnant folks uh it'll cut off your blood supply anyway um yeah do, what what's the story of 10 because like listen it opens great and that's kind of all i got from it i played like the first maybe three hours of it and then i got kind of bored um but like what's you know walk us through the story because i think I have some complicated feelings about this. Yuna decides... Uh, Yuna gets a mysterious orb or sphere from Riku that has a guy that looks and sounds like Titus on it, but it's not. And he's with some other heifer, and she wants to fucking find out what that's about. Uh, so she sets off on a quest. She puts on some shorts with a two-inch inseam about it. 
uh, and her and Riku and uh, <laughs> my bisexual awakening pain. <laughs> um, they uh, travel around Spira uh, to kind of pick up hints on what this sphere is about. But, uh-oh, along the way, there's two new factions. One of them is the Youth League. They're the, the secular ones. Then there's New Yevon. They're New Yevon. And they're mad at each other. And you have to pick a side. And the side you pick is pretty obvious. You should probably go with the Youth League because you just had a pretty bad rap with fucking New Yevon. And then... Whoa! There's a big fuck-off basement underneath Bavel, and there's a big evil machina under there, and you gotta go get it. Otherwise, it's gonna blow up the world like a thousand years ago. Uh, for some reason, Yuna sings and dances now, um, and you kind of uncover this parallel tragic love story that happened between the guy who looks like Titus and the other brunette he's in love with. That's sad. A thousand years changed my fucking, or a thousand words changed my brain chemically when Yuna sang it on the big fuck off Machina for some reason. Um, and yeah, that's kind of Final Fantasy X too. And then if you play, uh, if you get a hundred percent, or I think it's actually 99%, uh, you and you whistle in the far plane, uh, you can get our boy back. Uh, but actually, if you get 100%, you get the perfect ending, you get a bonus cutscene that actually makes it worse because Yuna's like, hey, are you still a force ghost? And he says, <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, tonally, it is completely incongruous to the poem that is FFX. There, at one point, there's a massage mini game, and you're massaging a lady called LeBlanc, who is the woman who took on Yuna's appearance to do a pop concert in the opening to do Real Emotion, the other song that chemically changed me and turned me gay. Um, and uh, uh, LeBlanc wants to fuck the guy the youth league who i would also climb like a tree um yeah so it's a final fantasy x themed arcade more or less um there is no strategy to playing it i have not changed out of the default dress sphere for more than 15 percent oh by the way uh the combat is costumes based um, I haven't changed out of the default dress here for more than 15% of gameplay. I mostly button mash my way through shit. Um, but also, fun thing you can do, um, there's like a fiend coliseum. Remember how fiends are dead people? You can collect them now. Oh no. You, sh you shouldn't so do that's... that. <laughs> yeah, don't collect ghosts. Um, so that's that. And here's how I've come down on it. I think it's delightful fun. And if it tried to take itself 15% more seriously as an actual sequel and not as a, a themed arcade experience, I would loathe it from the bottom of my heart. But because it's just kind of goof shit, I'm like, well, okay. It gave me real emotion. What more can you ask for? Um, so I watched an uh, analysis of Ten Two by YouTuber Bob the Pet Ferret, um, 
who actually has as an interesting take, which is like one, there's like additional material that's in between ten and ten two, and there's also a sequel that's like talks about what Yuna and Titus's relationship is after ten two, which I am not going to consume because it seems bad. Um, yeah, it's it's like a weird audio drama. We don't have to watch it. Um, but like. He comes down to the fact that, like, Yuna and, and Spira, like, just generally, have come out of this thousand-year period of suffering and chaos and constant, you know, every every ten years, you're, you know, something horrible is going to happen and, like, your whole life will be uprooted. And, like, everybody is, like, uh, you know, under the oppressive thumb of this theocracy um, that hates fun except for Blitzball. Um, and, like... Maybe it does make sense that like everybody, everything just goes a little bit silly and fun and goofy, and now everybody's going to J-pop concerts, and the Pope is now you know a cool songstress that's also sla- like a treasure hunter. Um, and I- well, the songstress thing. Well, yeah, I guess she is in canon. Huh? It's not just LeBlanc. Um, Keep going. And and like I, I kind of liked that read on it because it's it's truly just like you know what what would the world would be like if if all the bad the the biggest bad thing went away and now everybody could just like have a have a sick party, um, and I you know I I think that's a very generous read uh and and the fact of them and like he also references this thing that was you know in between ten and ten two which is that like Yuna was like despondent for a while because not only was Titus gone but like her whole purpose for being you know for being alive is is like over and she like did not expect to live beyond 17 and like now at 19 she's like very like just like i don't know what i'm gonna fucking do with my life um and i kind of like that read like which is like you know this is this is yuna trying to discover who she actually is and like becoming a person and like you know just like having some fun like like 19 year olds like should be able to do um so like I I think you know I I dropped uh you know I hopefully we'll be able to put this in the in the in the review or the you know description, but Bob the Pet Ferret the story of Final Fantasy X two is good actually I I think that's the most generous way to read that story, um and apparently the combat's pretty good but um you know I um you know the main thing that I you know wanted to, to t- touch on was just like. I do feel like the existence of 10-2 kind of betrays the entire thing of, of 10, right? About stories ending, right? I think I think that, that this game exists is like makes 10, you know, worse in, in many ways. Um, but I am wondering what you what you feel about, you know, that as as the defender of 10-2. I'm not defending it. It's not good. <laughs> but <laughs> I think I think uh, I, I'm simply I, I can't care about it because it doesn't take itself seriously. Like, you know what I mean? It's not trying really to. It, it's kind of like saying that Lion King one and a half is a serious sequel. Okay, to the Lion that's game. fair. And the other thing is that FFX two didn't need to happen. And I'll tell you, like narratively for many reasons. But the, the core conceit of FFX two is Yuna wants her boyfriend back. The post-credits cutscene of FFX is Titus waking up in some sort of oceanic environment and swimming upwards. Now, to me what that says is dealer's choice. Right. Did you hate Titus? That's the far plane, baby. Did you like Titus? He's back, bitch. Mm-hmm. Right. And in a game that's a poem, which it is, 
It is a big, beautiful, epic poem. I'm okay with that ambiguous ass ending because in my heart, he's back. So when Yuna's giving her big sad speech about loss uh, in Bevel, I think it is perfectly reasonable for me to take my little beautiful headcanon and be like, and when she goes back to Besed, guess who's <laughs> there? And then I don't need X2. But if you hated Titus, you're wrong. But if you did, you could just pretend that's right, the right. thing. Um, so, I mean, like, do we have anything else to say about, about these games? I feel like... They hold up. They do hold up. They I hold mean, up. listen... The, the, the turn-based stuff, the random battles, like, I don't love that. I mean, I love turn-based stuff. I don't love the random battles. That's annoying. Yeah, the density of encounters is bonkers, but the turn-based stuff feels good. I like it. Yeah. Um, the, the way that you get Lulu's ultimate weapon is by dodging 200 consecutive lightning strikes, which is also bad. Don't put that in your games. That's, that's too much to ask for. But um, anyway... The main thing I, I kind of wanted to talk about as we're writing down this podcast is, like, the effect that these games had on us, like, as young people is, like, profound and is, like, still changing the way that we create, you know, our own media and form our own opinions and navigate the world. And, like, I want, you know, if I can make something that finds its way into the hands of a young person and has this kind of impact on them that it... that. 10 did on me like that's kind of like the whole point of being a creator right is to like give something to a young person and then they cannot stop thinking about it for the rest of the, their life like that's kind of for me as as somebody who wants to be a writer and you know game designer like that's it like that's the shit which is like a, a young person looked at my work and it became their whole world for a bit and like how how do you do that Layla? how do you create something that has so such a big impact on someone that they never stop thinking about it you buy into your own shit. That's it. You you approach your shit unselfconsciously. You buy into your own gambit. And you care so hard that the person on the other end can't help but care. That's it. That's what you do. I don't think it's... Because, listen, I have shit stick, stick with me that is technically not very good. And that's okay. Helsing imprinted on me in a bonkers way just today i bought the fucking hardcover manga collection is helsing technically good sorry it, mr hirano but i it could use some rewrites i think in places listen i have it's a naruto tattoo <laughs> <laughs> you too i was there but like you know we both really love naruto and like you know that's a mess mm -hmm. the thing you don't, it doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be there. And you have to care. Right. I, I don't know when our, our talk about like buying into your own fantasy, I think it might have been in the Pinocchio uh, conversation where we talked. I think we talk about it constantly. Yeah. But, but like specifically, I was talking about Austin Walker's, you know, criticism of Forspoken um, and undercutting your own fantasy. But I think like, I think, yeah. I think that's something that I'm going to have to think really hard about going forward as I try to make things um, is just like being a wholly unself-conscious and like really just never trying to undercut my own shit, no matter how cringe it might be. Um, because then maybe somebody will, will see the same thing I do and believe in it as hard as I do. And that's, that's the whole ball game. That's the whole ball game. <sighs> Layla, when we are not trying really, really hard to um, 
believe in our own shit, where can we be found on the internet? You can find me at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter and Tumblr, where I am believing so hard in my own webcomic. Um, we'll see when I have time to work on it. Work is quite busy for me right now. Uh, it is, I think about it constantly and it is coming. But right now you can join me for my replay of Elden Ring. Uh, speaking of very good games, Aaron, what about you? Find me on Twitter. <laughs> Fucking Twitter lost the ability to post links and pictures today for 30 minutes. So, like, who the fuck knows? But I'm at AaronSXL on Twitter. Uh, Monster Factory fanfic uh, on Tumblr. But my main website is aavoit.com, where I talk about tabletop RPGs, health policy, and writing. Um I also do another podcast that's at The Bible Boys with my friends uh, who are ex-evangelicals, and they're also siblings, Michael and Josh. Uh, we are nearing our 100th episode where we will rewatch God's Not Dead and uh, have our, you know, 100 episode retrospective on that. So check that out uh, when, when that comes along. Our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla... I think there's only mm-hmm. really one way we can close out this episode. Ha 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 ha